Let me see. Well, I just uh, want to say thanks again to Philip for having the bravery uh, to share that with us today. Um, uh, that, was, that was very powerful. Thank you. Thank you for those thoughts. Uh, and honestly, it, what he shared makes what I'm talking about feel very insignificant, uh, but uh, I think I'm going to try to talk about it anyway. Um, so, Last week, uh, we uh, announced uh, that we plan as a church to use instruments as part of our uh, worship service, and um, I want to just be be clear on that, that um, we feel like this is something that is is a freedom issue for us. We believe that God is calling us to practice out of of grace and love and freedom, and I understand that this is uh, difficult for me personally. I grew up in the a cappella churches of Christ, and so I love our our tradition, our heritage, and we don't plan to lose that. We plan to sometimes sing a cappella from time to time, sometimes to even do that for the majority of a service, but uh, we also want to have the opportunity to incorporate uh, some of the gifts and talents of other people in our church. And I get that this is going to be a time of transition. I think we're already uh, in some transitions as a church, but I believe this is what uh, God is is calling us to, and we have spent time praying about this and thinking through this as a leadership team, and we think this is a way uh, for us to continue doing what God has called us to do. If you don't know, this church is almost 100 years old, uh, so that is a very old church, uh, and I was looking at some statistics. Uh, 2% of churches that are over 50 years old are still growing. And as you think about like the churches in our neighborhood and in our city that are, are growing, it's like traditionally churches that have been planted pretty recently and churches that are um, kind of fresh. And we don't want to emulate that, but we also want to understand that there are some things that we need to ask, like what things are we holding on to that are traditions that we need to let go of so that we can reach people in 2018. Uh, the other stat that I always think about is that the average um, church it has a 75-year lifespan uh, because that's the lifespan of a person. And generally, like at the beginning of the church, it's able to really reach that time and place, but you have to be willing to ask some hard questions sometimes to think about what uh, is God calling us to uh, going forward. And there are three things that I'm going to say. I'm going to be preaching about this for the next three weeks uh, at the beginning of every single sermon because these are things that we uh, want to make as promises and commitments to you guys. Uh, First up on that is it is still our priority to encourage congregational involvement. As I said, there's going to be times during our services that we will still be singing a cappella, and we are going to evaluate the success of our worship by participation. Um, we're not going to be a place where uh, it's just like a, a, a loud rock show. I'm proud that those churches are, are there, and I'm happy that they're reaching people, uh, but that's not our goal. We actually think that we have a unique calling to include voices and congregational singing along with instrumental worship because uh, we feel like that's a unique place uh, for us. And uh, I'm not cool enough or have enough hair to be at a cool church. So um, I can't make a mohawk anymore. So uh, that's just not going to be what we're called to. We're called to continue and hold tightly to our traditions, things that we love, uh, but also to think about what God might be calling us to moving forward. Secondly, we believe this allows us to use more of the gifts and talents in our church family. We have uh, many people who are talented and gifted in some of these ways, and we want to encourage those uh, things and allow people to use those. Uh, Thirdly, we believe this is the best way to edify our church and reach those who don't know Jesus in 2018 in this time and place. And I'm going to explain some of this stuff over this series and help us to to think through it a little bit. 
But as we begin today, I wanted to go through some things that I talked about. We had a class on uh, the history of Churches of Christ and a bit of that uh, in the um, understanding of what that means for our worship. So this is going to be some of the stuff that I did in that class, but not everybody was there and participated. So I wanted to share a bit of that uh, this morning, kind of asking that question, how exactly uh, did we get here? The Churches of Christ are from the Restoration Movement, which started in the 1800s in America. And if you think about the context of 1800s uh, America, it comes, I think, on the backbone of the um, what's called the Reformation Movement, 1500s. Martin Luther um, gets very frustrated with the indulgences in the Catholic Church and decides to post 95 theses uh, on a wall, and then things just start to go crazy. There's other reformers that come up. But during the Reformation, what was emphasized is this idea of sola scriptura, which you don't have have to be a Latin expert to probably know what that means, right? Only scripture, right? This is, this is what we are going to emphasize as we move forward. And so that was the goal of the Reformation movement. Then another influence that came after the um, Reformation movement uh, was the Enlightenment, People like Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. The Enlightenment still influences us probably more than anything. Uh, It's about like rationality and thought and thinking through. And if you think about the churches of Christ, I would say that that pretty much is our birth right there. The Reformation and uh, the Enlightenment. Those two came together and they made a baby called the Church of Christ, basically. Um, And I mean, I really do mean that because if you think about like Sola Scriptura and then if you think about like the rationality and just like kind of thinking through, it really is is the, the birth of our movement, and that's what, what happened. Uh, and so as religion comes to the United States, it's a really fascinating time because generally in human history, um, in like local countries and places, there is like the countrywide religion, whether it's Catholicism or Protestantism uh, or other world religions, that it's like this is just what we are, this is what our nation is. But as people came to America, part of it was escaping some of that. And so religious freedom has always been very important in America. And that's really a fascinating thing because basically they were able to ask the question, like, what is our religion going to look like here? How are we going to practice? What is this going to be for us? And so there were some parts of America where there was larger majorities. For example, Puritans uh, were largest in North uh, in New England. Anglicans were a little bit more prominent in the South. But there was generally a mix. And so there isn't like a Church of America. There may be one that maybe has a large population in America, but there's never been. And so as religion comes to the United States, um, there are these little towns, like frontier towns, with three struggling churches. And it's like, what on earth? What is going on? Because churches have a a tough time uh, unifying. And that is still a struggle, I would say, today. And I think generally a lot of people are asking, like, what are the most important things. What are the essentials? How can we unify? And so there was a leader named Barton Stone who was very important in our movement, who was a Presbyterian minister, and he has this uh, church in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, and he has an event called the Cane Ridge Revival, which happened in 1801, and this was an unbelievably huge event. It's the most famous camp meeting in American history. Crowds are estimated anywhere from 10,000 to 30,000. That's the preacher count, but um, anywhere from from like 10,000 people to 30, and this group of people just goes into a frenzy, and it's people from all different denominations, and it was really this unbelievable scene. Here's a description of this scene of what was happening uh, at Cane Ridge. Some jerked back and forth and made a sound like a bark. Others felt bodily agitation coming upon them and tried to run away, which you guys sometimes do in worship. I oh, know. Uh, some, 
Some danced back and forth in place. A few laughed, a hearty, solemn laugh. And so this is very interesting that this event, the Cane Ridge Revival, which is described like this, ends up becoming a bit of a birthplace for the Church of Christ movement because that sounds like a very charismatic gathering, and we're pretty anti-charismatic. That sounds like there's a whole lot going on that I wouldn't necessarily say. Barking like a dog doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But Barton Stone, during this moment, as this large gathering of denominations and different Christians were together, he thought this was a movement of the Holy Spirit, and I want to try to continue to unify Christians. So that became one of the most important things in his life. And so he really was dedicated to um, getting Christians together and working towards unity. So he then comes alongside Alexander Campbell and his son Thomas Campbell. And Alexander Campbell is, I would say, probably the the leader of the mindset that many of us have in the Church of Christ. And they come together to form um, what can be called the Stone Campbell Movement uh, within this this restoration history. I'm doing this in about five minutes, and you can read there's a whole lot more information, but I'm trying to give you the the downloadable uh, version. And it's fascinating because these churches, the Stone Campbell Movement, came together despite some pretty drastic differences uh, between each other. For example, here's some beliefs that each one of them have. Barton Stone and Alexander Campbell. Stone didn't believe the idea of the Trinity was in the New Testament, and Campbell believed there was evidence for it. We can just keep scrolling through these. Um, Stone was pessimistic about human nature. Campbell believed that if humans tried hard enough, then they could be great. Stone believed that revivals were important and urged um, his congregations to have them. Campbell thought they were manipulative and you should bring someone to the truth with just rationality. Just open up your Bible. Stone believed that we should unify even if we differ on something like baptism. Because this is going to be hard for you to hear um, because I strongly believe in baptism too. It's very important to me and something that I would say isn't essential of our faith. But there was some debate about whether or not if someone had been baptized as an infant, if you had to re-baptize them. And Stone said, no, you know, even we can all gather together. And, you know, you were baptized as, as an infant, I was baptized as an adult, but we can still worship together. And Campbell thought that was wrong, that adult believers should be immersed. He encouraged uh, everybody to do so. And he got stronger and stronger in that as his, his life continued. Stone's churches celebrated communion somewhat infrequently. A Campbell's churches celebrated communion weekly. Stone's churches were structured around elders, and Campbell's churches were more like democratic and, and ruled by the, the people. And you wonder how on earth these two groups came together, right? And that's some hard stuff. That's not like the color of the carpet, right? That is some, wow, very drastic differences. Some things that you would say, and I mean, I honestly, I'm with you on this, that I would say some of that's worth fighting over, right? And eventually, as the movement uh, develops, uh, Campbell's side on a lot of that stuff is, is the DNA uh, of us. And I would say it's because it's, it's biblical. The idea of baptism being very important, the idea of taking communion weekly, those things are essential and, and extremely uh, important. But what I think is remarkable is that these two movements merged. That's just unreal, right? That these two groups could come together and somehow figure it out. There's a Move, there's a meeting that, that happened in 1831, and there was a preacher from the Campbell side named Raccoon John Smith, which makes me wish that I had an animal name in front of my name. It might be a little bit better. I don't know which one I would choose, maybe Tiger or something. But um, Raccoon John is preaching and preaching something very passionately, and so he ends up saying this in this meeting, Let us then, my brethren, be no longer Campbellites or Stoneites, new lights or old lights or any other kind of lights, definitely not Marlboro lights, but let us come and 
to the Bible and the Bible alone and the, as the only book in creation that can give us the light we need. So Raccoon John Smith preaches this very passionate sermon, and at the end of it, he and Barton Stone shake hands. And it's like this signature moment that we are now officially together. But Christian unity is extremely hard because a month later, after this revival meeting, the churches that were now meeting together had a fight because the Stone churches said there wasn't an ordained minister there to lead communion. The Campbell churches were like, it's all right, we're still going to take it anyway. And so they had a fight, and that church was split for three years until they came back together. So like, we have this dramatic handshake, and then a few weeks later, it's like actually hard to live out um, Christian unity. And so this movement uh, continues across the United States, and you can read all about this. I have some recommended reading you could, you could check out. Uh, and really, as the churches of Christ were, were birthed and continued, it was a movement about unity, that even though there can be some disagreements and there can be some things that you really strongly hold to and that you are going to be willing to fight for and maybe leave church over, like you can still find ways to come together around the love of Christ. The name Church of Christ, even of itself, is extremely broad, isn't it? It's just like, people are welcome to come here and, and take communion. That was the way that it was described, that people would, would have a chance, and, and unity was extremely important. But then something happens in American history, and we like to think that we just read the Bible, and we just believe what the Bible says, and that's all we believe. But things like politics, things that are happening around the nation definitely have a heavy influence. And so the Civil War happens. And as the Civil War uh, begins and as ideas are coming around, and still this is a a struggle that people have, people would ask the, the question, like, is it biblical to own slaves or not? And so for the northern churches, they would say, yeah, get rid of your slaves. Like, obviously, like, this is not a question. But the southern churches, where economics gets involved, you can make some arguments, which I think are horrible arguments, but you can say, you know, there's no point that it's ever just straight up condemned in Scripture, so we think we can continue to practice this. And so a divide starts to happen between the northern churches and the southern churches. And that only continued as the Civil War was happening. And then it continues after it. Because after the South loses the Civil War, uh, they're short on funds. There's not a lot of money down in the South. And so the southern churches are saying, hey, brothers and sisters in the North, can you help us out down here? Like, we don't have food to eat. We don't have the ability to care for people in our community. We don't have any money. And so you can see how the southern churches would look up and just say, okay, what, how are you going to help us out? And here's a quote from a book by Doug Foster, which I would highly recommend um, checking out. Um, churches in more prosperous northern cities became successful in society. They built large buildings with expensive stained glass. They preferred educated ministers. They could afford expensive organs for their new buildings. By contrast, southern members faced starvation, disease, and economic ruin. Although some northern church leaders made the effort to raise aid for the South, little aid actually arrived. To southerners, it was inconceivable that their fellow Christians in the North could spend money on buildings and organs while their brothers and sisters in the South were struggling just to stay alive. So as this war happens and leaves the South and the North in these different positions, uh, this ends up becoming a distinguishing feature of churches of Christ, that generally uh, they're a cappella. And what 
at one point was something that they would say is not like a scriptural matter and is just a part of their tradition and just what they do. Eventually, they start finding ways to argue it from scripture. So there's, in the New Testament, there's the idea of make melody in your own heart, which we're discussing in our class at 930. And that actually, if you really examine it, is likely tied in with the passage about instrumental worship in in the Old Testament, so I would recommend uh, being part uh, of that discussion. Uh, But as this becomes a distinguishing feature, there comes like people on each side, and really there's no debating, if you understand Church of Christ history, that the reason why traditionally our churches are a cappella is because of the fact that the Civil War happened and the Southern churches weren't as well off as the Northern churches in recovery. Because the Church of Christ movement started as a unity movement. It started as a way to bring people together. It started as a way to bring people um, to Jesus. But eventually, uh, that starts to happen. In fact, from the very beginning, there were some churches of Christ in this movement that were uh, inclusive with instruments and did that practice. There's a minister named L.L. Pinkerton who was started the Restoration Movement, and he said that he used a melodeon in his worship because the singing was so bad it scared even the rats from worship. And so he's saying, basically, like, we're just going to use the instrument because you guys can't really sing in here. Sorry, so we're going to do what we can to honor God. And one of the strengths of Churches of Christ, I would argue, is that we can ask that question. What would it look like for us to honor God in this time and this place? We don't have some governing board back somewhere that says, like, and now you must do this. We don't have people. We just get to say, what would it look like for us to honor God in this time, and in this place. And part of that, I think, comes from us being honest. And are we doing a good job of honoring God in this time and in this place? When I started in ministry here uh, about 10 years ago, there was someone in our church who every time someone would clap in the church, they would give me a letter, probably gave it to me 15 times, um, about how clapping was wrong, and that we shouldn't be allowed to clap in our service. And I know I have bad rhythm, but um, I don't really think that that's something that we should be fighting and arguing over. And I get that, that breaking from, from a tradition is hard, but I think we have to ask the question, how are we doing reaching in this time and in this place? And I think about that more as just our, our, our general movement, not just us at the Glendale Church of Christ, but thinking about the churches of Christ that are around us in our city. I've done some some research and talked to some people um, at several churches in our area. Here's a list of several of the churches that are in our area. Uh, The Van Nuys Church of Christ, the Glendale Church of Christ, Altadena Church of Christ, the Burbank Church of Christ. There's two in Pasadena. There's one in Sierra Madre. There's one in Alhambra. And I was able to reach out all of these churches' own buildings, uh, and I was able to talk with uh, people um, from, from these churches and try and kind of figure out a little bit about their history um, and where they are right now. And these churches, some, including ours, had their peak around 65, 70-ish. Um, and not all of them consistently were that way. But I asked them, what do you remember as like a, a peak moment of attendance and like kind of where are you guys at now? 
And so at peak attendance uh, for all of these churches, there were 1,400-ish people attending them. And now there's 290. And that's in a span of about 30 years. And that's a question I think we have to be honest and say, like, what's the problem with that? And I'm not going to say that it's just instrumental worship and that's like the only thing and that's the thing that's going to solve everything. And once we like try this, it's just going to be like a huge rush and everyone's going to be like, that's what I've been waiting for. No, that's not the case. And I don't think the issue is instrumental worship or not. I don't think the issue is women being involved in worship or not. What I think it is is freedom and grace. And for some reason these churches weren't able to effectively communicate. And again, I say about 290 are in attendance now, and one-third of that is us. In many of these churches, they own buildings, but they're like 30-ish people. And I'm not trying to knock any of them. I hope that they continue to do well. I hope that they are doing what God has has called them uh, to do and that they're being who God has has called them uh, to be. But I wonder if moving forward, we just have to have a better understanding of freedom and grace. A walk with thinking about what talents might we use? What things could we use that God might be all right with? And this isn't just a problem like on us in this place. And as I look at all of those churches... I don't know the history exactly of, of all of them, but I know the, the Glendale Church of Christ history. It was a lot of people who were trying really hard. It was a lot of people who really loved Jesus and wanted to try the best they could to communicate Jesus. No one, like, goes to a church, and there's a lot of really active people. Many of you have given a lot of time and sacrifice, and nobody here has been like, gosh, I hope this church declines. And I know the story of Glendale, and I know the history of of Van Nuys, because I married Mandy, who was a part of that church. Same deal there. A lot of people who really love Jesus, who tried really, really, really hard. And as I think through this, and as I try to just honestly approach this, could we just ask the question, maybe that's part of it. And maybe we just need to walk with a better understanding of freedom. And I know that that might be uncomfortable for us at times. And I know that I'm asking for a lot of grace and a a lot of understanding. But I hope that we have enough of that for each other. Because one of the problems, I would say, in some of these churches and in some of these uh, places, I mean, from what I understand it, is I think sometimes we're known more about what we're against than what we're for. And we need to find ways to communicate freedom, love, and grace and walk with a different understanding. Again, I know that that's hard, and so I'm asking for for your love and and your support. And our plan isn't just to, like, throw this in anybody's face and, like, all of a sudden there's going to be a fog machine and I'm up. That's not what we want. I think that we can bring 
our unique uh, tradition and our unique history and find a way to honor that in moving forward. But I think the men and women who founded this church, like, they were passionate about reaching people in their time and place. And sometimes it can get to a point where we think about our, our, our traditions above our mission. And I don't think, again, this is not like we're going to snap our fingers and this is suddenly going to happen. I think in many ways this is more for the church 10 years from now than it is for right now. Because this is, this is something that is going to be hard for us and something that will take uh, grace, love, and understanding on all sides. But I do believe that walking more in freedom, walking more in love, and walking more in grace is a decision that God will bless. And as we think about just Honestly, our church moving forward and our movement in this area, we have to just say, what, what happened? And how is it that all of these churches collectively have struggled? And you might be able to look at one situation and say, well, there was a bad preacher there, or there was a bad thing that happened there. You might be able to look at one of them and say, you know, that was the issue, but all of them? We just have to be honest and say, Okay, what maybe is a barrier? What has hurt our collective influence as Churches of Christ? What might it look like for us to move forward in grace and love? And we are a unity movement at our core. And I desire that we would be the same thing, that we would be able to unify people, that we would be able to love people with diverse opinions and understandings. And I think part of that is diversifying our worship. And I understand that you might have some, some questions or concerns, and really the month of May I consider as a time for me to just talk with anybody who wants to talk with me. I always am I'm open, but uh, even more than usual, let me know. Let's have coffee. Let's have dinner. You want me to come to your house or one of the leaders? Let us know. Talk with us because we understand. And we deeply love acapella worship. I, I love acapella. Being out at Pepperdine this week, it was, was a great blessing. Uh, but I'm hopeful that by allowing people to, to use their talents and their gifts, they can find more places to serve here. Uh, just this week, I was very blessed with the opportunity uh, to do a keynote at Pepperdine Bible Lectures. And I'll give you the, the live stream. You can go watch that later uh, if you want to. But um, I, I'm going to sound like I'm bragging about myself for a minute, but I'm not. Just wait, okay? Um, the being able to do a keynote at Pepperdine is one of the biggest honors that a Church of Christ person can have, just being honest with you. And uh, as, as I was done, um, Rick Ashley, who is like the king of the Church of Christ movement um, and is one of, one of our best preachers, um, he, he said uh, to, to my friend about me, he didn't say it to me, but to my friend about me, he said, I always thought Brian was a nice guy, but I had no idea he could preach like that. Which is a bit of a backhanded compliment, but um, I'll take it. And the reason that I wanted to tell you that uh, is because it makes me so thankful for you all. Because the reason why I feel like I, I'm at, at that, that level, and of course no way I've, I've arrived, but is because you guys have listened to me for 10 years. Because every once in a while I'll think, like, I think I preached a little bit on this passage. No, I did a series on Philippians in the second year, and I'll look back on it, and it's horrible. 
And so you guys all share in that collectively. And so honestly, you guys have been such a big part of that. And it's because I feel so blessed to use my talent and my gift every single week. And I think the church is at its best when people are using their talents and their gifts to serve God. And for our church's history, we've said, you know, there's certain kinds of people who can use their gifts. There's certain gifts that can be used. And we haven't been as open as I think we could be to say, how can you share your gifts? What things do you have that can honor and worship God? And so I hope that this transition will help more people's gifts to be honored, people to be able to, to use their expression of how uh, they feel called to worship. Because I believe that it's in freedom that God calls us to walk, to understand love and grace. And I know that this could be a hard uh, transition, but I think we just have to be honest and say, God, where are you leading us? What would it look like? to reach people in this time and this place? And what collectively do we have that we could offer God better? So I'm in prayer for us, and I'm excited. I think it's an exciting opportunity because we, as uh, the, the leaders of this church, and I hope that all of you uh, will buy in as well, we genuinely care more about reaching people today than we do about our traditions. And I can say that with 100% certainty. And I hope that you join us in that. And I hope you join in praying with us. Because we believe that God is is calling us forward in this. um, And we believe that God ultimately uh, will bless that. But again, I'll be available across the hall right after church if you want to chat about this a little bit more, if you want more specifics. And I'll be preaching over the next couple weeks uh, as well. But mainly, I just want to communicate how much I love you, how much I'm blessed uh, to be part of this church, and I'm extremely thankful uh, for the opportunity that you've given me to lead as your minister, and I hope that this will be something that will be a great blessing for us as we continue to serve God here in Glendale. So please come to me, ask me questions, bring me your thoughts, ideas, throw things at me if you want to, uh, but allow um, me to just have a conversation with you if you have questions about this, because I believe that uh, it helps us to walk in the freedom that God offers us. So let me pray for us. God, uh, we just come to you with our hearts open. We believe that you're leading us in this direction, and uh, we just pray that all of us would be open to what you're calling us to. God, may you truly lead us to reach people in this time and in this place. I'm so blessed to, to know some of the history of our churches, that it was about unity, it was about bringing people together, and we want to do the same thing. We want to connect people with your message, God. And we honor our tradition, and we're thankful for it. We honor those who came before us. And I think we best honor them by asking questions. What might it look like for us to continue to reach people in this time and this place? Father, may you lead us and guide us and show us how to love each other even in places that we disagree. In your son Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and worship.